Asia Pacific currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the thirty first of August. Thirtieth.、Um, I don't know. We've totally no no thirty first. Yes, muddled up. You know, old age <laughs> creeping you, up. We've been doing this for how many years, and we still get on air, not knowing the date, but still insisting on announcing the date. That, that's right. But it's a Saturday. It, it is a Saturday.、Uh, you're listening to Community Radio Three CR. This is Asia Pacific Currents. I'm Giselle Hannah. And I'm Pierre Morrow. And、um, the song that you were listening to in the break was、uh, "Which Side Are You?" Are you? I think it's not quite on,、uh, but Rebel Deers, and very interesting. Unfortunately, we couldn't finish it. Thanks a lot to Solidarity Breakfast. I think that's actually the second time we've played it over the last. They've played it over the last few weeks, but no, we played a different Rebel、oh, Deers song.、Oh. Um, it sounds like that's the new musical interest of our comrades on Solidarity Breakfast. Hey, I, I like it.、Uh, the, oh, the only thing, comrades, you've got to put it on、um, earlier so we can actually、um, uh, finish the song. But and. Anyway, none of us is perfect, isn't that right, Giselle? I come very, very close. I, I'm afraid. I'm glad you took the bait. <laughs> What's on today's、uh, program? In the second part of the program today, actually, I'll be speaking. Well, I spoke with Kavita Krishnan from. She's a leading member of the Communist Party India (ML)、uh, and we're speaking about the increased military offensive against、uh, Kashmir.、Um, Actually, quite a what is there is almost entirely a media blockout on Kashmir. So learning some of the detail was actually very shocking because, as you know, Pierre Kashmir is a, almost a permanently militarized zone. What does increased militarization mean in an already militarized zone? I have a bad feeling about all that,、uh, how it's all going to end.、Um, not that it's、uh, going well, but、uh, anyway, we'll、uh, look forward to hearing that. And it's just on.、Uh, looking at the, at the clock, at three past nine o'clock, we'll go straight into the news section. And we start off in India. Unfortunately, another、uh, more bad news. Last week, five workers were suffocated to death while working in a drainage project in Nangram area of Ghaziabad, which is in、uh, Uttar Pradesh state. The men were working on a municipal、uh, corporation project to connect domestic sewer lines with the main drainage. System of the city. Not surprisingly, they were employed by a private contractor. An initial investigation showed they did not have any safety gear with them. Now, in a related metadata collated by the National Commission uh, for um, uh, Safe um, Work, the NCSK, has revealed that at least 50 workers have died cleaning sewers in the first six months of 2019,、uh, 2019 in India. Now, this number is、uh, still incomplete and is expected to rise as all the data collected.、Uh, not all states were included, so this is quite a, a shocking figure. In、uh, from India, 
In Palestine, the recent legal changes in Lebanon by the Minister of Labour, Camille Abu Slyman, determining that Palestinian refugees must obtain work permits like other foreign workers, has not only unleashed mass protests by Palestinian workers, but has highlighted two other major issues. The first one is that the widespread exploitation of temporary migrant workers in Lebanon, which will now only increase with Palestinians now forced to compete with hundreds of thousands of other temporary workers. This, in addition to the huge numbers of Syrian refugees working while in legal legal limbo. Secondly, it it once again highlights the centrality of the exploitation of the Palestinian working class, who for the last seven years has been forced to work in a range of countries in West Asia in incredibly precarious conditions due to their stateless condition. Um, we can only say um, all the best uh, sisters and comrades and, and really shows the, uh, the weakness of the trade union movement and the need for it. Um, we go to closer to home, to the Philippines, um, where unfortunately we have to give uh, more bad news. Leah Tumbalang. A uh, LUMAD leader, um, the LUMADs are an indigenous uh, uh, group in the Philippines. Uh, so she was a LUMAD leader and a, and a human rights defender in the southern uh, regions of the Philippines, was uh, murdered on uh, last week on uh, Friday 23rd. Um, witnesses have reported that two men riding a red motorcycle were seen tailing Leah and eventually shot her dead. Leah had previously received death threats. She was a leader of the Kawalingong Sistema Ngam Sasintog to Lumandong Ogpan, or Casilo for short, an organization whose members campaigned against the entry of mining corporation in Bukindon and for defense of the ancestral domain. Local activists blamed the killing on government agents. Um, blamed the killing by government agents on the repressive state policies uh, that are in uh, force in the Philippines that include the continuation of martial law, the counterinsurgency program Oplan Kapanatagan and the war on drugs that have created a climate of total impunity in the Philippines. And in Korea, Korean Airlines cabin cleaners have been on strike for almost a month now. Nevertheless, KAL, that is Korean Airlines, uh, its subsidiary KAS and subcontractor EK Manpower are not coming to the bargaining table and have not cancelled claims for damages against union leaders. That is not just an isolated struggle there in South Korea, but um, a general, um, I guess, political and industrial activity across the airlines industry right across Asia that we're seeing at the moment. That's right. And um, we go back to India, where following the last um, few weeks uh, reports of mass layoffs of workers in the automotive and food manufacturing sector in India, we have another sector that is shedding thousands of jobs. Uh, reports indicate that up to 40,000 workers employed by the diamond cutting and polishing units in Gujarat, Rajasthan and Maharashtra states have estimated to have lost their jobs in the past few months after a plunge in the global prices of diamonds. With the Indian cutting and polishing sector accounting for 90% of the global trade for rough stones, the knock-on effect has now hit global miners, with some reports pointing to some uh, major diamond mines uh, around the world closing down next year. And again, it's a, it's a good uh, example of the globalisation of our economy.
Um, our next story is the report on um, the Beloala, uh, well, the Beloala community in Queensland, and particularly the comrades Priya and Nades, who are. Um, the government is attempting to deport. Many of you will have followed the news on that, at least those of you in Australia, listening in Australia. Um, so Priya and Nades have uh, two children. One of them is a young child with a disability. Uh, that child was born in Australia and... Um, uh, Immigration Minister Dutton is insistent that these people will be deported. He has even said, uh, you knew this before you decided to have children, effectively saying too bad. Um, the family, through their supporters, secured an injunction um, uh, uh, on th- on Friday morning, so yesterday, uh, that injunction is until at least four o'clock on Wednesday. There is a hearing in the Melbourne uh, in the federal court based in Melbourne um, to hear further arguments to prevent that deportation. Uh, as everybody knows, this is a Tamil family being forcibly deported to well, that's what a deportation means by force um, to Sri Lanka, where they will. Uh, face imminent danger and likely death. And as far as I understand, there are um, protests uh, being organised in in Darwin as we speak. So if you're up there, um, get along to them. Now, that's really the end of our news roundup. Um, We'll go to a short community break and then we'll come back with the interview with Kavitha Krishnan. Hey, this is Nick from Pinyara. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. It is 10 minutes past 9 o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. Our guest on the program today is Kavita Krishnan. She's a leading member of the CPI, CPI, the Communist Party of India ML, CPI ML. Um, I spoke with her about the situation in Kashmir. On the 5th of August, the government headed by Narendra Modi, uh, the central government, announced that they were doing away with the autonomous status of Jammu and Kashmir as a state. And they were also uh, abrogating uh, the state itself. They were sort of dissolving or annihilating the state itself and replacing it instead with two union territories, which are basically territories which are uh, controlled by the central government. So... um, uh, This was in a nutshell what they did. And they also placed Kashmir under a lockdown that has continued till now, which has included a communications blockade, as well as a very uh, intense paramilitary deployment uh, in the state. Um, So this is what has been done. Um, Just very briefly to recap what that means, you know, Jammu Jammu and Kashmir had an autonomous status, which was represented by this, article of India's constitution called Article 370. So what they have done is to get rid of Article 370 and also uh, get rid of uh, Jammu and Kashmir status as one of the states of India. In terms of um, the action by the Modi government to remove the autonomous status of Jammu and Kashmir, it, it was not 
it wasn't just a peaceful declaration. I mean, my understanding is that they have moved in with um, with more military than what is normally in the area and that the repression, I mean, you talked about the lockdown and you talked about the communications blockage, but we've also heard some reports of people being um, isolated in their homes or stuck in their homes, unable to leave. We've heard that um, food and other supplies are dwindling and people are actually at desperation point. Yes, uh, Kashmir on the, uh, as a whole has been turned into one large prison, basically. And so what we found when we visited Kashmir between 9th of August and 13th of August was that uh, people were not allowed to move outside their own streets. They could not visit a neighboring street or a neighboring village. They could not visit loved ones in hospitals. And uh, they... Uh, and. Uh, not only that, there was also you know, young Kashmiri boys and men are being picked up from their homes and illegally detained in police stations and army camps where they are being they are facing custodial violence. Um, and in what we have to remember is that Kashmir had already before fifth of August also Kashmir was is one of the most militarized areas in the world. And uh, so what has happened since then is an intensification of that. Uh, militarization um, in Kashmir. And uh, so to really make it very simple, a decision about Kashmir's status was taken without consulting Kashmiri people. And in fact, by locking Kashmiri people up, gagging their voices and subjecting them to intensified violence and uh, fear um, by the Indian government. What is the reason that that decision was taken at this particular point in time? I think that what we have to understand is that what we have in India today is a Hindu supremacist or Hindu majoritarian government, which uh, for which the state of Kashmir, uh, the, the uh, state of Jammu and Kashmir has a particular significance. They like to project Kashmir as being um, a Muslim territory, uh, inhabited by Muslims who are disloyal to India and Muslims, uh, they want to use it as an example of how Muslims are by nature loyal to Pakistan, disloyal to India. And so they are treating this as a political coup, which they are propagating in the rest of India as a conquering of a rebellious Muslim territory. None of this is, of course, accurate because Kashmir's um, relationship with India, Kashmir's accession to India has a very specific history. There is a reason for the Kashmir dispute. And that, uh, to put it very simply, is that uh, Kashmir, you know, in 1947, when India and Pakistan became independent uh, and the partition uh, happened, then most of the Muslim majority majority territories on uh, the borders and boundaries went to Pakistan. For instance, even what was then called East Pakistan uh, or and is now Bangladesh was then part of Pakistan. Now, Kashmir, Jammu and Kashmir remained independent uh, uh, for uh, several months. They had a choice of either going with Pakistan or going with India or remaining independent. And they, when they eventually chose to go with India, it was precisely because they feared Bangladesh's fate if they went with Pakistan. They felt that their Kashmiri identity, their unique Kashmiri identity, would be subsumed in an overall sort of Muslim theocratic uh, state. And so they hoped that India, being a democratic, federal, secular state, 
would actually give Kashmir the kind of autonomy that it wanted. And in fact, they acceded to India because India promised them that autonomy. And Article 370 represented a large part of that promise. Um, now that promise has been uh, done away with. The Indian state has abrogated that promise, has thrown away that promise. Um, or in all these years, in the last 73 years, of course, Article 370 was all, already hollowed out and weakened. And in a sense, it was made a mockery of. But at least it represented a symbolic promise of autonomy. And now even that symbolic promise of autonomy is gone. And what is left is brutal, naked, open military control. Thank you for providing that history. That was very, very useful. I mean, you did mention that Kashmir is is one of the most highly militarised regions in the world. The way that you describe the history, though, that um, as an act of free choice, the Kashmiris chose to be an autonomous state in relationship to India, so as a part of India... But there has been ongoing conflict between Pakistan and India over Kashmir. What is the nature of that conflict uh, if your telling of the history is that it was a a free choice of the Kashmiris and and all is well and good? Uh, No, all is not well and good because of that free choice. The thing is that that free choice happened in 1947 and that was the, the part of uh, Kashmir uh, that chose India was the, the part that is now uh, India-administered Kashmir. The other part, which was uh, basically uh, attacked by uh, militias, tribal militias, which were backed by Pakistan and captured by Pakistan, that part sort of remained with Pakistan. And uh, at the time uh, when Kashmir, when, when what we call Jammu Kashmir today, when they chose India, they had hoped for that part of what joined Pakistan as well to be part of their state. And um, the idea was that the decision taken by the then ruler of Kashmir would be uh, ratified by uh, the people of Jammu and Kashmir, that they would get a chance to support or not support the decision taken by their ruler. And at the time, the popular ruler of Jammu and Kashmir, the popular leader of Jammu and Kashmir, Sheikh Abdullah, he was very much in support of joining India in terms of uh, protecting Kashmiriyas within India. In 1953-54, around that time, uh, when the relations between Kashmir and India were frayed, when Hindu nationalist politics was operating in Jammu and Kashmir as well, and the people of Kashmir felt a sense of fear, uh, they started uh, uh, reminding India that, no, you had promised us a plebiscite. You had promised us the right to vote on our future. Um, when that, when they started calling in that promise, that was when um, Sheikh Abdullah was taken away. He was placed under house arrest for more than a decade. And uh, essentially, since then, in, in Kashmir, there were only client regimes. Uh, you could not have a free, uh, you know, free and fair elections in Jammu and Kashmir. And all of that uh, has happened, which has basically led to this conflict situation. Now, the, the thing to remember here is that Kashmir is, of course, disputed between India and Pakistan. But it is not only that. It is a situation where neither India nor Pakistan has really shown much respect for the aspirations of Kashmiri people. They have not really bothered to listen to what Kashmiri people want and uh, find a way to respect that. And uh, that is, uh, I think, what uh, what what we should remember foremost about this situation right now. 
It is the kind of environment and circumstances that really does breed a resistance movement and breeds opposition and breeds, um, a, a, well, a, a, a resistance. I, what does that actually look like? Are there organised protest movements? I know you've said pro- people can't protest freely, but are there organised communists? Are there organised socialists or workers' movements trying to push back against this level of repression? No, there are not. I mean, there were once these, I mean, Jammu Kashmir once had a thriving left movement and um, Mm. other kinds of people's movements. But over time, uh, essentially, the space for that has shrunk very badly. And what Kashmiri protests looked like was mainly organised by what was called the Hurriyat Conference, which was a platform of organizations with uh, various uh, positions. I mean, they were not all on the same page about what Kashmir's uh, autonomy or freedom might look like, but they were called uh, separatist groups by the Indian government. Now, what has happened is that that entire leadership is now in jail. Uh, The other political leadership, which was considered to be, uh, which was uh, in favor of participating in the Indian democratic process and elections and all of that, they're also all in jail. So right now there is no leadership. There is absolutely no leadership. And what we felt when we visited there was that people kept saying, uh, we're going to protest at some point or the other, but they knew that even their most peaceful protests might be met with the most terrible, brutal repression and violence. And so I think uh, there was almost a sense of you know doom while they kept saying yes, the more you repress us, the more we will rise and all of that. And they would keep telling you that we'll fight till even there's a, until the last Kashmiri child is around, we will keep fighting and all of that. But I think that um, in a sense, there's really a sense of uh, somewhere helplessness and, uh, and grief as well, grief and loss as well. Because uh, it is uh, really, I would say that there's, it's difficult to get a sense of any uh, of where, uh, if at all, any organised resistance uh, will come from and how that will manage to survive right now. We talked about the Modi government of India. We described it as Hindu chauvinist um, or Hindu supremacist, uh, and we have more or less described that government as fascist. Is there resistance yeah. in India? Um, to that government? And then what is the relationship between the general protest movement against the government of India and solidarity with the situation in Kashmir? Yes, um, there have been, of course, movements on the ground against the Modi government in India, um, and uh, especially by left groups as well as other people's movement groups which are fighting for uh, to protect India's environment and... Uh, Uh, India's forests and so on, land and forests and rivers and all of that. So those movements uh, have been resisting Modi and they have also shown solidarity with Kashmir. Uh, So even after 5th August, they were the ones who were on the streets uh, and quite widely all over India uh, basically protesting uh, this move. And they have been uh, on the streets since then as well. But I want to say that, you know, uh, solidarity with Kashmir right now is actually uh, the Indian government is making it very difficult to show solidarity. So those of us who have visited Kashmir and all are being threatened with imprisonment, 
or with, um, you know, right-wing attacks by right-wing groups. Um, and, uh, you know, university campuses, students are not being allowed to organize, for, uh, uh, you know, any kind of solidarity actions, even a discussion, even a discussion about Kashmir's history or Article 370 and what it means and all of that. Um, such discussions are not getting you know, permission. So students who try to organize this, these discussions could face uh, court cases, they could face arrests, they could face uh, you know, they might be removed from, they might not be allowed to study in their uh, universities and all of that. So in a sense, there's an attempt to choke choke out uh, any kind of protests, of course, but in particular, any discussions on Kashmir or any solidarity actions with Kashmir. Well, in that case, how do you think this is going to end? What do you think is going to happen? Uh, I think that, uh, for one thing, I think that in India, I think what needs to be realized and is not yet sufficiently realized or recognized is that what uh, what Modi is, what the Modi government has done to Kashmir is also a warning sign for what it wants to do with um, with India, because uh, essentially this is a move in the in the direction of turning India into a fascist Hindu nation, and so the manner in which they have uh, you know, done away with constitutional provisions vis-a-vis Kashmir. They will also do away with constitutional provisions vis-a-vis India's oppressed communities, oppressed castes, and uh, you know, women's rights and all of that. So, um, uh, workers' rights, women's rights, and they're already beginning to do a lot of that. So, I think uh, the, the future is uh, quite fraught with uh, dangers, uh, and the only hope is that. That uh, in and that the hope lies in uh, Indian people also recognizing um, the, the 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 politics of all this and recognizing that if they are being asked to cheer violence against Kashmiri people, um, if they are being asked to cheer Kashmir being set on fire, it's also because their own home is being set on fire as well. And uh, you know, the Modi government doesn't want them to see that and doesn't want them to recognize it till it's too late. And um, that's what you know. Those of us who are working in India are trying to do. We are trying to build up a sense of awareness and uh, protest and resistance against all this. But it is not easy, especially given that much of India's media is controlled by big corporations, which are completely, which have the Modi government in their pockets. And so these media channels, especially television channels and a lot of print as well are basically propaganda, not only for the government, but they are propaganda for Hindu supremacist politics, for Islamophobia. And there, the kind of um, uh, mass reach that these uh, media have is uh, far greater than what any other, you know, um, protest organization could have or, you know, protest network could have or opposition party could have. And so they are building uh, the public opinion on many of these things. So it's quite a dark outlook, frankly, in India as well as in Kashmir. And um, since this is an international audience that, uh, you know, I'm addressing via the say, uh, you know, the, the hope is that, uh, you know, people across the world also will recognize that like Bolsonaro, like Trump, uh, like uh, Duterte, uh, you also have, uh, you know, like Putin, Modi basically ranks among those authoritarian leaders. And so uh, developments in India and Kashmir need to be seen in that light and responded to in that light.
to me, lover, I've secrets to tell. Hi, we're Dash. And you're listening to 3CR Community Radio. Come to me sweetly, this love of great That was Kavita Krishnan, a leading member of the Communist Party of India, ML, talking about the situation in Kashmir as um, devastating and difficult and desperate and urgent that the situation is. Um, I think her concluding comments were very, very useful and powerful um, and that we do need to stand in solidarity with the Indian and Kashmiri working classes to oppose Modi's fascism, but to oppose fascism in general. Uh, That does bring us to the end of Asia-Pacific Currents for another week. Thank you for tuning in. And uh, I have to say before we go, I actually totally agree with what you've just said, uh, Giselle. So, um, But that's why uh, this radio show um, exists and this is why Australia-Asia Worker Links exist, which brings you this radio show. And we really do have to go. So um, my name is Pierre Morrow. I'm Giselle Hanna. Uh, Coming up next is Palestine Remembered. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.